Welcome, family. Thrilled, thrilled you guys are here with us today. Goodness, God is so good to us, and I'm just man, blessed to be here with you guys. It's an exciting day for us for a number of different reasons. We are um, going to be doing a little bit later in this service, towards the end, we're going to be installing and officially introducing to you guys our new elders here at the Brook. We're super excited about that. Yep, uh, Tony Navarro will be a part of that, JJ Pacheco, Chris Javier, Jeremy Barahona, and Bruce Olson are five men who are going to be along with myself, elders here at the Brook, and um, we are excited to, uh, to just introduce them and talk a little bit about what it means to be an elder here. Um, as we do that, though, we're also starting back with our series from the book of Mark. And you see, the Bible shows that Jesus is actually the head elder of the church, the head pastor. And so who's the senior pastor of the Brook? Jesus, yes. It is no, it is no one else. Jesus is the leader of this church. And so the rest of us who are called elders or pastors are called to serve underneath Jesus to advance Jesus' mission. And so we are thrilled to talk about that, talk about Jesus. And in fact, that's why we're going through the book of Mark. We're, we've titled the series, Follow Me, because that's what we want to do is we want to follow Jesus. Three times in the book of Mark, he tells people that. He says, follow me, because he's the one who gives life. He's the one who gives hope and forgiveness and healing and joy. And if you want any of those things, so this is why we're going through the book of Mark. I'm thrilled to reconvene with you guys and uh, unpack it for you together. We're going to talk some today about um, greatness, and we're going to talk about what it means to be, uh, to be great. I'm going to pause here and grab my, my other mic because I don't want to hold this. the handheld. All right. <laughs> yeah, be, be careful what you ask for, Tony, or what you offer to do, brother. Man. <laughs> so we're going to unpack from the book of Mark today, chapter 10, and talk about, uh, again, greatness, because there's a lot of confusion in our society about what it means to be great, what it means to be uh, someone who, who is prominent. And in fact, Jesus' followers oftentimes get this mixed up. They get confused about what, uh, what it means to follow him, what it means to serve him. And in this passage, we're going to look at in Mark 10, he's going to really turn things upside down. He's going to teach them that their perceptions of prominence are, are misguided. And, you know, a lot of us, we want to make a difference in life. I, I think that's a great desire. You know, I want to look back when I, when I am ready to, to die and breathe my last breath. I want to look back and say, I gave it all. That, that I made a difference for God's kingdom. That God used me in people's lives and my guess is many, if not all of you, have similar desires. And so we're going to look at what it takes in God's understanding for us to live with that kind of purpose. So we're going to find ourselves in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 32 and following. Again, there's a Bible in front of you. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, we offer you to take that one. It's, it's one that we want you to have. It's our gift to you. It's on page 846 in the Pew Bible in front of you. We're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 10. And see how through sacrifice, Jesus teaches us the true meaning of greatness. Now, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to do some reading. I'm going to do some um, explaining of what's going on in the, in the situation. So the book of Mark is a story about the life of Jesus. And it takes us from the day he started serving 
um, the people to the day that he was crucified and then rose from the dead. And throughout the book, we see what it means to follow him. We see the ins and outs, the failures of God's disciples and the successes of others. Now, what I love about this book is that there are a lot of people who fail in the book. And when I read that, I oftentimes see myself in there. And I'm grateful that God didn't say, I'm done with you, move on to the next person. But we see him taking their failures and using them as teachable moments. And the truth is, all of us are finding ourselves at different times. We're confronted with our own failures. But it's beautiful to know that our God doesn't give up on us. And he uses these opportunities to teach us the truths. What's also neat in the book of Mark is the people who oftentimes succeed go unnamed. We, we just don't know who they are. We're told he's a demon-possessed guy. We're told that he was the paralytic, the blind man. And every so often we're given names, but by and large we're not. And again, that reminds us that, you know, the truth is history is going to forget most of us, if not all of us. Uh, our names won't be in, uh, you know, history textbooks in schools. But that's not, again, how God measures greatness. God has a different priority perspective. And what I love is that God raises that to the surface and he chooses to use people like me and you who are broken and flawed to bring great things about. And so here we are in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 32. Jesus has been going throughout his life teaching people, instructing people in the northern part of Israel. And now he's going toward Jerusalem, the capital city. And Jesus knows something that others don't know. He knows what awaits him in this final trip to Jerusalem. He knows when he gets there, there's going to be conflict that's going to lead to his crucifixion. And so we are, here we are in Mark chapter 10, verse 32. I'm going to read these verses for you guys. And here's what God's word says. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them, what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. You know, when I read these passages, I think of the clarity by which Jesus, by which Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. He knew he was going to be betrayed, He knew he was going to be illegally tried, and he knew ultimately he would be crucified. But he also knew he'd rise from the dead three days later, and he said it in plainest of terms here, but of course the disciples have no category for Jesus dying and raising from the dead. After all, they're thinking he's going to go to Jerusalem to take over the Roman army, to establish a kingdom there, and be the great king who rules back in Jerusalem like King David did many generations before. And so they're not thinking at all that Jesus is about to die, even though he just told them, This was going to happen. And so with that in mind, the the passage we're going to look at tells us how appalling it is, a conversation that begins to take place. Jesus just tells them, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. And here in verse 35, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. So Jesus is like, hey, I'm about to die and be crucified. And they're like, all right, but, but how do we get to sit next to you in glory? And Jesus is like, I, I just told you, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. And for them, again, no category. They're thinking Jesus is going to reign as the king. And they're like, hey, if you're going to be the king, can I sit at your right hand and at your left hand? 
And what's crazy is they ask Jesus, they, they lead in with a question first. They say, uh, they, they ask him, teacher, what, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And they stop right there. You ever have those requests? People are like, hey, what are you doing on Thursday? It's like, why are you asking, right? Because you're like, there's something behind that. Are, you know, are, are you going to ask me to do something for you? You know, so you're a little hesitant. And, and here the disciples are totally doing that to Jesus. They're like, hey, Jesus, here's a blank check. Can you sign it for us? Whatever we ask, will you do it for us? And Jesus is, is all-knowing. But I love what he does here. Is he, he goes with them. And he tells them, well, what do you want me to do for you? Again, never say yes when someone says, we do whatever I ask you. Ask them, well, what do you want me to do? And here Jesus does that. And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left. We, we need to understand the magnitude of their request here. They're like, Jesus, we acknowledge you're going to be the king. You're the center of attention, and we're totally cool with that. But we know you have a right side and a left side. The right hand person next to the one on the throne is a person of greatest prominence next to the person on the throne. And the person on the left is third. And so they're like, Jesus, you know, we don't want to be number one. We, we're good. We're good with you being there. But, but could we be number two and three? Let, let us be the top two dogs in your kingdom after you. And what Jesus does here, he could have rebuked them saying, you are out of your mind. He could have told them, you selfish, good for nothing, fool of yourself, and on and on and on, and all of it would have been justified. But what Jesus does, he says, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, yeah, yeah, we're able. We can do that. Never asking, what cup are you talking about, by the way? What baptism are you talking about? See, Jesus is speaking in figurative language here. And he's going to begin to undercut their selfishness, their pride, their desires for greatness and and prominence. And he's going to do it in the way of showing them that they don't have a clue what they're talking about. What's remarkable here is Jesus asked them in verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? Jump over to verse 51. Verse 51, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? You see, there's two stories back to back. The first story is the one we're looking at. The second one is the story of a blind man named Bartimaeus that, that Tony read for us earlier. We see on that story that that's a man who's crying out for Jesus. Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm dirt. I got nothing. Help me. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He says, give me sight. I want to follow you. Whereas here, he says, what do you want me to do for you? They're like, hey, lift us up. Give us recognition. They sought fame where Bartimaeus sought faith. And here Jesus is going to undercut their request and he brings up this cup to drink in his baptism. Now it's important for us to think about this because Jesus isn't simply saying, hey, here, I got a cup of water. Can you drink from this too? No, no, the, the cup in the Old Testament symbolizes a number of different things. But one of the most prominent themes is a cup of God's wrath. It is God's judgment. God says, I'm pouring out my cup on my people who've rebelled. He's not saying I'm going to give them a big hug. He said, my wrath is coming against them for their rebellion. And here Jesus is saying, can you drink of that cup? Can you embrace God's wrath? That's the cup I'm going to drink. If you remember, Jesus in his last moments is in a garden called Gethsemane. And he's there praying with Peter, James, and John. James and John, these two guys. He's there praying with them. And Jesus is uh, sweat became blood because of the, the pressure he was feeling. And he says, Father, if it be your will, let this, what? Cup pass from me. Jesus wasn't so much afraid about the torturing he'd undergone. He was going to be tortured. 
But the way Jesus felt was that he was going to be rejected by his heavenly father. God's wrath was going to be poured on Jesus at that cross. And Jesus felt that weight. And he's looking at James and John saying, are you going to be able to drink of that cup? Or are you going to be able to be baptized with the baptism that I'll be baptized with? See, when Jesus was baptized, so to speak, he took the sins of the world and went underground for us. He took the weight of our sin upon his shoulders. And basically what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, James and John, you want to sit at my right hand and at my left hand. Are you ready to suffer? Are you you ready to suffer? Because that's God's pathway to greatness. And so he tells him here, are you ready to do this? Verse 40 but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. God has a plan. He knows who's going to be at Jesus' right and left hand in glory. In verse 41, and when the ten heard it, the other ten disciples, they began to be indignant at James and John. So you, here we have James and John, these two brothers. They want the top seats in God's kingdom, but they're two of the twelve disciples, just ten other guys. Can you imagine how awkward that is? So the ten disciples are there, and James and John are like, hey, man, this is our chance. Go to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, can we sit at your right hand and left? And the other guys are like, are you serious? So, so at best, they're like, hey, well, what, what about us? And at worst, they're like, hey, we, we want the right and left. And so here the disciples are misguided in their understandings of God's kingdom. So often we can be too, can't we? Just misunderstanding God's purposes and plans for our lives. And we want to be great to make a name for ourselves, but not to make a name for Jesus. And this is what the disciples are doing. They're falling into the trap of the world, and Jesus calls them out. In verse 42, he called them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So in society and culture, people want to be great. And they take their power and they abuse it. They overuse it. They want to make a great name for themselves. You see it happening. And I see you falling prey to the same understanding. But 43, Jesus says, But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, what Jesus tells them here is, you're misguided. You're misunderstanding the right way to go about this. He tells them that you're looking at the way society does things, and you're following suit, but that's not the way it's supposed to be done in my kingdom. And then he says, you've got to be a servant of everyone, a servant, and uses himself as the example What I love here is Jesus says that he came not to be served, but to serve other people and give up his life as a ransom. The word ransom is a price that is paid to free a slave or someone who's been captured. That's what a ransom is. Now, in order to really feel the weight of what Jesus is saying here, we need to understand our predicament apart from God. You see, the Bible says that we are people born in our sin, and because of our sin, we deserve death because we rebelled against God. God is holy and perfect, and we're saying, God, I don't need you. I don't want you. And what Jesus is saying here is, you need help. You need someone to pay that penalty that you deserve. Jesus is saying, I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to take your sin on my shoulder. The curse that was coming upon you, I'm going to suffer it. I'm going to receive God's wrath. 
I'm going to die so you don't have to. See, Jesus is teaching his disciples that the way that he was going to save us is by laying down his very life, setting up an example for us to follow. I think this is a great passage to look at as we think about leadership in the local church and throughout society. You see, in the local church, God is calling his leaders to be servants. When we want to be leaders in a church in order to lift up our names, we're misguided. We're falling right into the trap that James and John were stuck into. And Jesus is saying, look no further than me. I put my life down for you. Well, James and John get a rightful rebuke. But if we had time, we could look into their lives and realize that they understood it. You see, James and John indeed would drink of that cup and be baptized with that baptism. James was the first of the 12 disciples to be killed for his faith. Acts 12 tells us about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. You know, if you read the book of Acts, you come to that and your heart just sinks all of a sudden like, wow, Jesus wasn't kidding, man. The cost is high of following him. But it was worth it. John was arrested, he was beaten, and he ends his life on an island called Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea as an exile because of his faith. And from that island, he wrote the book of Revelation. James and John would suffer much for Jesus' kingdom, but I believe that they understood what Jesus meant at the end of the time. That God wants his leaders to be servants of all, to put our lives down for him. He turns greatness and our understandings of greatness upside down. Well, I want us to pull away four things from this. Four things. I'm going to hammer on these for just a moment. The first thing is this. The deceitfulness of sin can make selfishness appear God-honoring. Hear that. The deceitfulness of sin can make selfishness appear to be God-honoring. You know, James and John are there. Jesus, you're good on your throne. We're good. We don't want to sit on your throne. We just want your right and left. And perhaps in their mind they're thinking, this is a good thing. We want Jesus exalted. We want his name broadcasted. We just want to be right next to him. And there are times in our lives where perhaps we think we're doing things for God, but we're really doing it for our own name, our own fame, and it's misguided. And it appears to be God-honoring, but really it's selfish. I'm sure they sang Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, places at your right and then at your left, something like that. You see, they wanted Jesus central, but they wanted themselves right there with them. The second thing I want to see is that it is a joy to give your life for the gospel, for this good news that we're talking about. You see, Jesus laid his life down to save us. And there are some of us here today who don't know that. We don't know that Jesus has died for us. We haven't received it for ourselves. And our prayer is that you would see that this God that we serve and worship is a God who loves you dearly. A God who would lay down his very life to rescue you from the punishment you deserve. And for those of us who are God's children, what a privilege it is to be about God's work, to go tell other people about him, to follow in Jesus' steps, the same steps that James and John ended up following. You know, in the board in the lobby, there's a board there with 200 squares, and, and we're encouraging us as a church family to share this good news with 200 people. And each week I get excited as another square is filled because that means some of you are about the gospel work. Family, it's a privilege, and let's get on it. Let's be missionaries, workplace missionaries urban missionaries, 
classroom missionaries, apartment missionaries, global missionaries. Let's get out and do this work telling people about our Jesus who gave his life as a ransom for us. A third point I want you to see is that serve others with an aim that's God-glorifying. You see, we want to do good, good things in society, but ultimately we want people to see who Jesus really is. And so as we go about, let's keep that as our focus. Jesus healed Bartimaeus' eyes. He met him in a very physical need, but he told him to follow him, and he did. And so as we go out as a family and serve our community, let's make it our ambition, though, that those people that we serve, those that we love so much, would hear and know Jesus. And then fourthly is this, to celebrate what Jesus accomplished at the cross. You know, I think sometimes we talk about the good news of Jesus so much that we forget how sweet it is. And, um, and it's a tragic thing. You know, I'm preparing for a message this week, and I'm just reminded how God has a law. He sent the Ten Commandments, and there's many other laws. And the very purpose of God's law is to show you you can't keep it. That's the purpose of the law. When a speed limit says 30, what do you do? 35, right? If the fence says no trespassing, you're like, man, I wonder how fast I could jump it. It's, it's ingrained in us. We're rebels, but with us rebelling against God's law comes a curse, a punishment. And because of that curse, hell is our destiny, eternal separation from God. And so when Jesus says, I'm giving my life as a ransom for you, realize that the curse of the law still remains, but when you put your faith in Jesus, it doesn't get given to you, but it was placed on Jesus. He was cursed at the cross. You ever wonder why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says it because the Father poured his wrath on him. So when Jesus says, I've given my life as a ransom for many, realize that you deserve that wrath. You are the one who's cursed. You are the one who deserves death, but God's the one who steps in your place. And that should lead us to worship him, which is great gratitude. I love this passage because Jesus turns our understandings of prominence in his kingdom upside down. And as we serve and follow him, let's remember that we do so on our knees, loving him, honoring him, and wanting Jesus' name to be exalted. And we are not looking to be at the right or the left. We want to play the background, get us out of the way, and Jesus let them see no one but you. And so when we think about even raising up leaders and elders at the church here, this is what excites me. To raise up others who are on the same tip. Others who want to join in this work. And what I love about the Brooke family here, guys, you need to understand, I know a lot of pastors, I know a lot of churches. And when I tell them about the kind of volunteer work we have here at the Brook, usually they're, they're amazed at it. You know, on a given week, some 35 to 40 different ones of you are serving in some capacity. There's seven people downstairs right now with the Brook children teaching them about God. Seven people. We, we have two people in the audio-visual visual area. Five on the worship team. We have greeters. We have people who are doing drywall this past week and electrical work. But we need to remember, we're, we're not doing it just to stay busy because no one else just wants to stay busy because we want to be busy. 
we have a focus in mind. We want to we want to instruct our children. We want to make disciples. We want to see God's kingdom advance. We want to see churches planted, missionaries sent. We we want to see these things happen. And we know that when we are coming together with our strengths, we're able to encourage and strengthen one another to send people out. And so when I think about what God is doing here, I'm overjoyed. Also, when I think about what God's doing here, I'm thrilled about the fact of, of men in this church. Guys, I look around here and I see just so many just amazing men. Men who are, are down for Jesus. And you know, many local churches, there, there's a struggle to get men serving God and, and, and doing the work. And I just, I'm overjoyed by so many of you who are trying to be faithful with your singleness, investing your life for God's purposes. So many men who are, who are being faithful or striving to be faithful to, to daily be with Jesus in his word and praying. Men who want to lead their wives, their children. None of us here are perfect. But I'm thrilled about the many men God has given us. And I pray that, fellas, that we would look to one another and as we look to Jesus and follow him and lock arms together. Of course, I'm thrilled about the many women we have here serving the Lord as well and your faithfulness to him. God's doing a beautiful work. And when we started the Brook three years ago, um, we sent certain benchmarks, benchmarks. And we first of all said, we need people. There's like 20 of us. And, uh, and we began to meet and just pray that God would cause us to, to lead us to people, to reach them for Jesus. And then we started praying that God would develop leaders in the church. People would teach his word. People would serve just faithfully, not looking for a pat on the back. And then we said, you know, one day we're praying that God would raise up elders in our church. Men who would stand in the gap as pastors. And we just thought, God, we don't know how long this is going to take. We don't know what's, what's going to happen. We're just going to trust you. We're going to go with the flow. And well, I'm just consumed by the idea that there's so many men who are loving God here. And so I'm just thrilled about it. But we as a church have come to a place where, we've, where I've chosen five elders to come and serve alongside of me as elders in this church. And I've mentioned them already to you. I want to give you a brief background about each of these guys who have their desire to be, as Jesus said, lay down their lives to serve Jesus and to walk with you guys. None of these guys are seeking a title. In fact, not much is going to change from what they're already doing, except maybe have another meeting every month. These guys are already rolling up their sleeves, as so many men are doing here at the brook. Jeremy Barona and J.J. Pacheco, uh, they were sent from Good News Bible Church, our previous church, where I was at as an associate pastor. And they were sent with the church's blessing to come here and help us start the brook as leaders here. And here we are, four years after that time they were sent. I'm thrilled that they're going to be joining us as elders on this team. They've been faithful brothers to me who've been with me alongside of me during the ups and the many downs (laughs) these past four years. When we got here, we met a guy named Chris Javier, uh, who at the time was dating his girlfriend, Valerie. And um, to see Chris, Chris, not Chris, Chris, <laughs> he just got a new nickname, by the way, flourish as a man of God over these past four years. Um, and not just a guy who's serving, but a guy who wants to lead, who's hungry to walk with other people. It's a joy to invite him on the elder team. Well, Tony Navarro pastored Kaleo Church for many years, faithfully making disciples, tried and tested and true. And 
And Kaleo joined with us a year after the Brooks started, not even a year, about 10 months in. And uh, what struck me about Tony is frequently he would tell me one message. He said, Eric, I'm here to serve you. What do you need me to do? Whatever you need me to do. Gladly play in the background, but at the same time a man of gifting who, who's hungry to lead God's people. And then there's Bruce Olson. Many of you may not know, Bruce was Erica's principal in elementary school, and JJ's as well. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I guess I didn't expect that response, but... Another thing you may not know, Bruce used to come to my cross-country meets in high school. Not because he came to watch me, but his son Chris was on the team with me. And so Bruce would come and watch me run when I was 16 years old. And uh, never thinking that we, that'd be a pastor, his pastor, and that uh, God would bring him and Debbie to the brook. Um, but when him and Debbie visited the brook the first time, we clung to their ankles and said, please stay. And so... Um, as they say, they have invested a fourth quarter of their lives uh, here at the Brook, and we're thra- just grateful for you guys. Um, th- these five men have been a, a great, great friends to me. Um, they're not the only men, and I, I want to emphasize that. I'm just, I, I'm just, we're just so blessed here. And we want to keep training men to be elders because we're going to keep cycling out and sending out. I-, I dream of the day we send out a church planner to start a church, and we give them three fully trained elders with them. And it took us three years to raise ours up, to train them, to make sure we even knew what it was. I mean, I'm like, this is new to me. But how cool would it be to send out three and say, we already got three, you know, waiting, waiting on the sideline here to join with us. And uh, I'm confident God's going to keep doing those kinds of things. I, I want to unpack just a little bit what an elder is as we think about serving as Jesus served and giving his life as a ransom for many. And there's a number of, vi- of Bible verses I want to read for you. Um, we have these on the screen here. First Timothy 3 is the first one I, re- I want to read for you guys. Paul writes this. He says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. First qualification is aspire. Um, an elder is a guy who wants to be one. Not to make a name for himself, but because he loves Jesus and loves his church. And so an elder is, is one who aspires. He's also called an overseer. You see, the term overseer is the same as the term elder, is the same as the term pastor in the Bible. We don't have time to unpack those passages. But an elder is a pastor. A pastor is an elder. And so I want us to recognize that. We don't have five elders and one pastor. We have six pastors. Um, Jeremy and I would be vocational. The others do this for free. Good work, guys. So elders aspire to be elders. They desire to be a pastor, to oversee God's church because they love it. It says that he's be, uh, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. This is a matter of character, not perfect family. Don't ever hold us to that standard. We will fail you today. (laughs) He must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. By stating husband, Paul is saying that he's to be a man. And we here at the Brook believe that pastors are called to be men, or men are called to be pastors. And the office of pastor is for men. Uh, We see this in 1 Timothy 3. We'll see this in Titus 1 as well. And that's our conviction that that God has given men and women complementary roles in his kingdom work and in the household and throughout society. And he's given men this call to be leaders in the church as pastors, not because we're better than or more qualified, but because that's how he made it to be. 
And just as it is in the home, as husbands are called to lead their families and wives are called to submit to their own husbands, we see a beautiful thing where a husband sacrificially loves and a wife respectfully submits to and honors their husband. We see a beautiful interchange in the same way God has designed that in the local church. So this is why we have men as elders. He's to be a husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the temptation of the devil, like we saw with James and John. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that, they may, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So these brothers, as I mentioned, they're not perfect, um, but we've walked with them. We know them. We know their character. I've walked with them. I know them. I know their character. And, um, and these are things that we've seen in them. There's also a passage in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. I'm going to read only sections of it. But it says, this is why I left you in Crete. Paul's talking to, to Titus at this point. So that you might put what remain into order and appoint elders. Notice the words plural, elders, not an elder. Elders in every town as I directed you. And there were churches in every town. Our belief is that God has given elders to lead the church. Not one pastor, not one leader, but a multiplicity of leaders, multiplicity of elders to do that. I'm excited about it because for me, I know that I have other men who are going to be in the deepest of trenches with me moving forward. Not to say again that I haven't, I've been alone because I haven't been. But, but there's a uniqueness that comes with the role of a pastor. Furthermore, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. See, the role of the elders is to protect you guys from false teaching. And there's plenty of it everywhere. One of the reasons why we teach the Bible, because we want you to see the truth. And as elders, we have a, a particular responsibility to teach you God's word. There's another passage in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 I want you to see. Paul says he gave to the church apostles and prophets and evangelists, shepherds and teachers. And here's the purpose. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Notice that the purpose of a leader, of an elder, of a pastor in a church is not to do the ministry. My purpose is to equip you to do the ministry. So who are the ministers at the brook? Raise your hand. That's you. All of us. And so the, the role of us as elders, we want to empower you to know how God's gifted you and be able to use your gifts to advance God's kingdom and help people know about Jesus who put his life down as a ransom for many. And so we delight in this task. So in summary, an elder is a man who is called by God with character, who pastors God's church, multiple, peop- multiple pastors in every church, who are guarding the truth and make it as their job to equip you guys. So an elder is called by God, affirmed by others, and designated for this role. The title pastor is inextric- inextricably linked to church. There, there cannot be someone who's a pastor who doesn't pastor a church. Because pastor is a shepherd. A shepherd shepherds the church. And Jesus has given a title pastor for those who shepherd the church. So we feed by teaching the word. We protect against wolves and we heal. James 5 talks about the healing prayers of elders 
the leaders of the church are coming around and praying for healing, physical, spiritual, walking with, giving counsel for healing. And so this is what we want to do. I, I emphasize how, how the goal of an elder is to equip others for this work. And this, this is why I say this. I don't want anyone at the brook to start thinking, oh, now that there's elders, I can put my feet up. No, no, no. So our, jo- our job is to come alongside and say, hey, how can we help you as you serve better? How, how can we come alongside of you better? Uh, I know some of us come from different church backgrounds, and, and sometimes with eldership, there's different connotations that come with it. Sometimes there's an elitism that comes with it. Sometimes there's been abuse of power you've seen or experienced. And I want you to know that for me, for our elders, that won't happen here by God's grace. There is no elitism. The first shall be last. We want to serve as Jesus called us to serve and lay down our lives for you guys. Well, with this being said, family, what I want to do is I'm going to invite a friend of mine named Brett Gleason up on the stage. Um, Brett is the church planning director of the Evangelical Free Church of America, the denomination that we, the Brook, uh, are connected with. Um, you guys have known Brett, if you've met him before, and just for those who haven't, uh, Brett's been a dear, dear brother to me. Um, Brett, Brett gets the ugly Eric sometimes, and, uh, and he walks me through it. Um, Brett's been my coach since before the Brook started. In fact, uh, he was here before I was here. Um, he was here when, when things were still in transition from the previous church that was here. And, uh, and Brett had great leadership leading that church through some dark times um, and ultimately leading the brook to where it's at uh, by coaching me. So I'm thankful for you, man. I love you. I'm so appreciative of you. And so I invited Brett to come with us to celebrate this great day where we're installing our elders. And with that, I also want to invite our elders. Um, fellas, would you come on up? Come on up. Tony, Jeremy, JJ, Bruce, and Chris. And uh, Brett's got a word for you guys as you come on stage here, an exhortation for you guys. And a congregation, we want you guys to hear this, family. We want you to hear and see what, what God is putting on our hearts as we seek to lead God's people and love you guys so much. Um, and this is, this is the commitment we're making here. Well, good morning, Brooke family. It's um, a joy to be with you and a joy to be uh, on stage with these men. And today, I believe, is both a, a joyous day to accomplish what God has done, but, but there is a bit of somberness in it as well because the, the weight of an elder, the role of an elder, there comes a certain weight with that, a certain responsibility that we have for this church. And um, as we celebrate what God is doing in your life and the life of the brook, I want us also to pause and reflect upon the seriousness of the role of an elder in the local church. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes, Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. In other words, follow me. As I follow Christ. And today, this congregation is committing to follow your leadership as you follow our Lord and Savior. And they do that because they see in you the qualities of an elder that, that Pastor Eric read from, the, 
the qualities of being above reproach. And remember that, that your role as an elder comes for, from who you are before God and, and the work he's doing in you, not because of, of necessarily any skill you have. And uh, um, so to be faithful elders, you need to watch your life and your doctrine closely. How you live is an example to this congregation, to the community around, because when you're out and about, you represent the brook. You're elders of the brook, and more importantly, you represent Jesus Christ. And to watch your doctrine, be rooted in God's word, be diligent students of it. And you get to do that both individually in our homes, but also collectively together as elders. And I also ask that, um, that your love for Christ and your love for this church and your love for the community would, would lead you not to be elders who play it safe. We are not here to play it safe, church. Jesus says that we are to storm the gates of hell. And you are to lead this congregation as we storm the very gates of hell. And our purpose is that men and women, boys and girls, will come to saving knowledge in Christ and experience the abundant joy we have as followers of Christ. And so Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And I give that word to you today. What is God calling the brook to be And how will he use the brook to advance the gospel and to build his church in this community? And so I come to you with um, some questions. I believe you've at least read these. um, And uh, just give your response at the end if you would. Will you be faithful in the discharge of the responsibility entrusted to you as an elder, depending on God for wisdom and discernment in making decisions in accordance with his will for the brook? Will you seek to advance the kingdom of God, setting aside personal interests and ambitions, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? Will you serve this congregation in humility and love, seeking to minister to others as Christ's servant? Will you pray for this church often, both in your personal prayer time and when gathered together and when gathered together as elders? If so, say, I will. So I encourage you to take those words to heart and just to continue to live your life by faith, deeply worded in the word of God, seeking his faith, his face through prayer, and leading this congregation so that more and more people can come to know and love Jesus Christ. Thank you, Brad. And for you guys, church family, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Um, th- those are weighty words. 
there are times I, I, I'm up late, anxious, thinking, God, am I being faithful with your people here? And I know these guys carry that weight. Uh, they, they feel those burdens because they love you guys. They love Jesus. And they feel a sense where we, we've got to give account to Jesus based on the work we're doing. And so Hebrews 13 says to obey your leaders and submit to them. Trusting that we're going to say follow us as we follow Jesus. Using the authority God has given us to empower and encourage you. The writer goes on to say, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that will be of no advantage to you. It's no advantage when the elders are having, like, having a hard time. You're like, I don't like you, you know. It's, it's, it's tough. And so we just, we covet your guys' prayers. I'm going to read something for you, similarly as, as Brett read for us as elders. I'm going to read for you as church family here at the Brook. If you're part of our church family, uh, I want you to respond by saying we will, if this is indeed what you will do for us um, as, your, as your brothers who love you and want to serve you as pastors here at the Brook. Will you uphold these elders in your prayers that they have the heart and mind of Christ in their leadership? Will you submit to their authority as those chosen by God to oversee the spiritual welfare of this local church? Will you encourage these elders by your support and participation in the ministries of this church? And as you have opportunity, will you express your thanks and appreciation to them for their sacrificial service on your behalf in the name of Christ Jesus? Family, if this is your commitment, please say we will. Thank you, guys. We love you guys and are grateful for your prayers, uh, your continued prayers. Um, this is foreign territory for us. Um, you know, this is definitely foreign territory. So we'll be, we'll be tripping and, and falling and stubbing our toes along the way. And so we just love, would love for you guys to pray for us and to show us grace and, and um, encourage us along the way. With that being said, I know that these men aren't alone in their lives and that there are um, wives and fiancés in their lives who carry this weight and burden with them. And, um, and it's wild because it's true, the truth is we, we don't want to uh, just carry things by ourselves. Our, our wives do carry it with us. So I want to ask our wives uh, and fiancés to come on up on the stage. You guys join us, please. Come up, ladies. So ladies, I'm just grateful for you. Uh, I know you are tremendous supports and encouragements to your husbands, and um, we know it's no easy task um, to be in, in that place. I do want to say Debbie Olson is in Texas right now at a conference, and um, misplanning on my part, I take the blame unknowingly. And so I know she regrets not being able to be here, um, but that was my fault. So I know, I know her heart is to be here. Um, I know you wives are, are carry the weight with us, and and you, you see, Brett sees the ugly me, and Erica sees the uglier me. And, um, and that's, that's the case, I think, for, for all our wives. And, and so um, we're grateful for you. We want to pray for you. Uh, Brett's going to pray for you. I want to pray for you. And congregation is a, just a way of, of solidarity. Solidarity. If it's indeed your prayer, would you just extend your arm in, in, in our direction um, by saying, hey, we embrace this. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amen to this prayer. There's nothing magical. There's no fire coming out of your fingertips here. Um, but it, it's in our hearts saying, yes, God. I believe this. Yes, let's rise to our feet and do that. Thank you. Let's rise to our feet. Let's pray. 
Dear Father God, I thank you for Eric and Chris and JJ and Jeremy and Bruce and Tony and the wives that are by their side. We pray for their families, protect them from the arrows of the evil one. Lord, help them to persevere through the difficult times that life and ministry can bring. Lord, we ask that you would give the elders both wisdom and faith to lead this congregation. We don't want the gospel to be hidden. We want the gospel to be proclaimed from the mountaintop, that many would come to know Jesus. Lord, would you bring revival to this community and use the brook and the leadership of these men for your purpose, for your good purpose. Lord, we pray for their marriages. We pray that they would be strong and vibrant, reflecting the love that Christ has for his church. In Christ's name, amen. And Father in heaven, we, we um, as, as families want to really honor you with our lives, and, um, and God, we, we know there is a, there is a great gospel work to be done and uh, we want to continue it Lord we want you to be exalted among us God Lord I, I pray for, for our, the women on the stage right now Lord um, I know they carry the weights they, they, they carry the burdens I lift up Erica Lord I lift up Val and Sunette and Janina and Debbie and Limadi God Father I, I pray that they as women would um, just trust you God with the details of their lives not feel that there's any sort of, um, I guess, fresh pressure on them in a way that, that's, that they shouldn't bear. Uh, Lord, we know that just kind of comes with the territory, but I, I pray that we as a family would know how to pray for, for these women, um, not, not to place them on a pedestal either, God, not to, um, Lord, just overwhelm them in, in other ways, but to really see them as, as just fellow sisters, Lord, in this, in this gospel work you called us to. Lord, um, we pray that you continue to raise up leaders here. You'd multiply them, Lord. And God, uh, I pray, Lord, that um, as we would do this, that you'd be just so pleased in what we do, how we conduct ourselves. God, when we fail, may we be quick to repent. When we sin, may we be quick, Lord, to say, forgive us. Lord, I pray that we'd be humble, that we would seek your glory to be exalted. God, above everything, and so, Lord, keep us united as a church family, Lord, in this important milestone. Lord, the year has just begun, and we are believing you for many great things in the months ahead. And so we pray this in faith, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Praise God. <laughs> Maria's a photographer. Here we go. Yes, sir. Well, as we conclude our service here, we want to we conclude by celebrating the Lord's Supper. Um, I, w- I want our, our, our men, actually, you guys can stay up here. Yeah. Um, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here. And what this is, is um, 
for those who are followers of Jesus, Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, ate of the bread and the cup and told his followers saying, my body will be broken for you. My blood will be spilled for you. And so what we do when we celebrate this every month at the brook, we're acknowledging that Jesus died for us. And, and, and we're affirming that death and resurrection on our behalf. So if you are a child of God today, we invite you to eat of this bread and cup with us. Um, once it's passed out, we'll eat of the bread and drink of the cup together. So don't eat it just yet. You can open up the package there. And as, as the bread and cup are being passed out, um, I, I want us to remember what we talked about, how Jesus was our ransom. He paid the price of our sin. And take this moment to just pray. Pray in your hearts, thanking Jesus for what he's done for you, confessing your sin to him, asking for healing and wholeness. I believe firmly in my heart that as we take of the bread and cup by faith, that God nourishes us, our soul by faith. And so in the stillness of this moment, I ask that we would just, uh, again, meditate on what Christ has done for us, ask him to forgive you, rejoice in his death and resurrection, and let's pause together before we eat and drink at the same time.
with our eyes closed, let's take the bread in our hands. Jesus, I remember, Lord, in your word as it says, this is my body broken for you. Lord, um, this is how you gave your life as a ransom. You, you were beaten, you were flogged, you were whipped, punched, spit upon, crowned with thorns. Lord, you suffered immensely, and above all, Lord, you drank of the cup of the wrath of God that we deserved. So as we take of this bread and remember the broken body, we do this in faith. Lord, asking for you to nourish our souls with their parched. Remind us of forgiveness when we've forgotten and we're forgiven. Father, when we feel like we need to earn your approval, remind us, God, of this bread tells us we don't have to earn your approval. But Jesus took it for us. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Take the bread together, church family. And Jesus, in the same way, you took the cup and in my mind's eye, God, I, I reflect on that moment when at the cross, the soldier took a spear and punctured your side, Jesus. Blood and water flowed to show that indeed you had died. You had told your father, into your hands I commit my spirit breathe your last that death that blood is what I deserved what we deserved that wrath we deserved God will never comprehend that Jesus thank you that your blood was not spilled in vain but it was what purchased us and paid our ransom. So we drink of this cup in faith and in celebration and declare indeed we are forgiven because of Jesus. Let's drink together. Indeed, Father, your Son died for us. God, if the story ended there, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There's nothing to live for. But Lord, I thank you that the story doesn't end there. That three days after he was placed in a tomb, that there was a resurrection. The tomb is empty. And Father, we declare that with gratitude. And Father, we will take of this bread and drink of this cup as Jesus tells us to until the day he returns back. He is not dead. He is alive. He is risen. And through faith in him, we too shall be raised to life, resurrected to bring you glory. 
And so, Lord, as we sing this concluding song as a family, God, I pray that this would be our declaration, that we would say this with joy and with happiness and with hope, Lord. And, Father, for others who are here today who have not seen your body broken for them or your blood spilled for them, Jesus, I pray that, Lord, today that they would see that they can be forgiven, that they could turn from their sin and turn to you, Lord. And so, Lord, may this last song further establish, God, the truth of your good news in their lives. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Rise to our feet, church family. Prayer team, would you come forward? As we conclude in this song, let us pray with you. Let us pray for you. And rejoice in what Jesus has done for you. Our prayer team is, is here. If you want someone to pray with you, come on down. They want to pray with you. They want to tell you about Jesus. They want to walk with you through your hurt and heartache. And let's declare God's praises as we sing here. Lift up our voices together. The head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. His Savior built to wash
your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your Praise will rise to rise. 
Let's sing that, your name. Your name, your name is victory. Yes, Lord. All praise will rise to Christ our King. All praise is yours. Name, your name is victory. You have already won, Lord. Will rise to Christ our King. Let's give it up for our Lord. Yes. Praise God for his faithfulness. Well, as we prepare to dismiss today, we want to uh, invite you for refreshments downstairs. We'd love for you guys to be with us. Uh, we also want to invite you to join us on Friday for our dinner here. Um, We'd love for everyone to be here. We really would. It's going to be a great time. Line up child care. If you have kids, make sure you don't bring them. And um, we're, we're looking forward to it. It's 10 bucks a person. So come on now. I want to leave you with this blessing from God's word. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless for the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be all glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, both now and forever. Amen. This is our God who is with us. Church family, you are dismissed. Please join us downstairs. We look forward to hanging with you.